Welcome to Movable Dough. This is Steve Danielson. Join me as I interview and promote living composers. In this series of interviews, I talk with composers about their musical journeys, their past successes and setbacks, and their current projects. For more information about this podcast, as well as a complete archive of episodes, please visit sdcompose.com slash movabledoe. Hey, this is Steve. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Movable Dough. My guest today is Dr. Rosephany Powell. Dr. Powell is a professor of voice, composition, and choral music at Auburn University and is among America's premier composers of choral music. She has an extensive catalog of works published by Hal Leonard, Gentry Publications, Oxford University Press, and Alliance Music Publications. She has received numerous awards, including the Living Legend Award presented by the California State University African Diaspora Sacred Music Festival in Los Angeles. She is in constant demand as a composer in residence, clinician, adjudicator, conductor, and performer. Rosephany Powell, it is an honor to have you joining me today on Movable Dough. It is good to be here, and I am looking forward to our time together. Fantastic. Well, you know, it was actually difficult for me to know where to start today. Your website has an amazing FAQ section that has answers to most of the questions I usually ask guests. So I'll do my best not to duplicate too much the information already found there. So I'll start with this question. What has been the biggest challenge you have faced as a composer during the pandemic? And how have you worked on facing that challenge? Ooh, you know, I, I think I probably should have had some preparation for that one. Um, <laughs> wow. Well, I guess I'll say this, that, you know, the pandemic was in and of itself an issue as it relates to the isolation. So uh, a number of, I mean, every commitment that I had professionally uh, after mid-March was canceled. So, you know, all of those interactions had their impact upon me. But, you know, it was through the, the, pen, the pandemic in a way was a gift uh, because I wasn't aware that I was so close to burnout. Mm-hmm. But the, the, when I, once I settled down, once I had to get still in the pandemic, I realized that I had really been, you know, burning the candle on both ends. And, and so the, the pandemic, you know, as, as strange and surreal as it was, it provided me a, a, a time to uh, be still and, and get in touch with my inner self and that part that really uh, is into the composition. And so I, I, I composed two uh, sets of solo vocal works. I have one uh, set of vocal works that is out and and it's pretty popular, but I use this time to compose two other sets and both of them are commentaries on uh, COVID-19 and all that has been going on with our country uh, in 2020. So in that way, I was able to compose uh, some solo vocal works that I would not normally have composed. And then I was able to uh, complete a work that I'm composing for uh, SATV choir uh, percussion ensemble, brass ensemble, and four hands piano uh, based on the life of Harriet Tubman. So oh, it wow. really gave me a chance to be still and actually have long periods in which to compose. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that that blessing of the pandemic, just a chance yeah. to, to slow down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I know you started singing from a very young age. Uh, did you always see yourself growing up to be a musician or did you have other aspirations when you were really little? 
You know, when I was younger, uh, because I uh, have three brothers and my mother has five brothers. So each of us grew up, my mom and I both grew up in families where it was predominantly male. So my thing was less music and it was more athletics. I played athletics and sports in school all of my life, but my mom had the wisdom to get me a piano teacher. And so I started taking piano lessons and that's really where the music started for me. And then when I was in junior high, I studied the sax and then got into the school band and played sax all through band all the while still playing sports. And so it, that's so funny that the part of me that loves sports is, is quite different from that part of me that's more introverted, that loves music. So as a kid, I got to play out both, you know, both sides of, yeah. of the spectrum of my temperament. So I, I guess you could call me a running singer because I ran <laughs> track, played basketball. And at the same time I was singing and playing the piano. So yeah, it, I did start early, but you know, the thing I liked about when I started was I was not forced into it. You know, and, and wasn't even sure that I would do music, but as I continued to grow, music became more important to me than sports. Uh -huh. and, and so that's when my, my, my love for um, music and, and choosing music as a career, uh, you know, predominated. Sure. Can you tell me about the gospel quartet that you and your friends formed in high school? You know, that started because we were, we were all uh, in, in choir together. And uh, in, in, in this particular choir class, it, at times when uh, the teacher would be working with other students, we would just sit around and we would just harmonize. We, it, it was just our thing to do. And, and we would take choir songs. And if it was something you know, that, we, that was two part or something you know, that was, even if it was the national anthem, we would take that and we would just sit around and harmonize. And then after, next thing we knew, we were harmonizing in the cafeteria and we'd be sitting around on the steps Next thing you know, uh, the choir director, uh, she came to us and said, hey, you know, I, I know this pianist, if y'all want to form a, a gospel quartet, I think you should. You're getting on everybody's nerves singing around the <laughs> campus. So why don't you make a group? We started singing together and uh, really were quite well known uh, in, in our state and in our area. And then on top of that, the teacher then put us together to be a quartet for solo and ensemble auditions in high schools because listen she didn't have to train us we were already singing right. together all we had to do was start singing classical music and so so those things too developed my love for um, music and in addition to that for that particular group I got where I would arrange uh, some songs that we were singing. So not aware that this skill that I would be using later in life, it began as something that I did having fun arranging songs for this group. Are you still in touch with the other members of that quartet? Yes, I am. You know, everybody's in touch through Facebook. So That's true. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we, we, we are in touch and have thought about at times doing a, a reunion. But uh, I don't know, you know, get, get it. Once you've got families and going in different directions, it's hard to get you together sure. to perform, you know? Yeah, I'd, I'd get that for sure. Speaking of family, you mentioned on your website that you were sort of born into music education, both of your parents as music educators. Uh, so that career path sort of came naturally to you, I would assume. Well, now, actually, I was born more into a family of educators. Uh, I, I didn't come from a musical family. 
Okay. I, I mean, well, but I did in some ways. I have second cousins and others, and my mom actually sang in the choir. But I, I think one of the reasons she got me started in music was because uh, she always wanted to be trained. And she grew up on a farm, so she didn't. She she sang in her college choir, but she never had a trained voice apart from choir singing. And I think that's really why she got me uh, involved. But all of my, from my uncles to my aunts, um, my mother uh, is a retired teacher. My father was a principal, so I came up through a family of teachers. So I think the teaching aspect, uh, you know, just came naturally for me. Sure. So when did you realize that? sort of music was the trajectory you wanted to go? You know, with my involvement in band and choirs in high school, I, I, I knew that coming from the family of teachers uh, from which I came, I, I felt like education was for me. So then the, the, the thought was, well, which aspect of education would it be? And I always love uh, words in English. So I assumed I probably would be either an English teacher or music. I always have loved music and was, apart from sports, was heavily involved in it. So um, music is what drew me, but I tell people that I see the love of music through my compositions and my love of words and mm -hmm. setting words. And, and so I, I think that I was able to bridge the two uh, together. You know, first, you know, originally I studied to be a singer. And then being a soprano, you know, and everybody telling me, hey, sopranos are a dime a dozen. On top of that, you're a lyric soprano. So there's not <laughs> going to be a lot of work for you, you know, in, in classical music. And so I'm very grateful for this, you know, the, I, this talent that I believe was given to me because I didn't study composition, but I love setting words to music. So it, it allows me to enjoy my love of words and, and language uh, and, and merging that and, and, you know, intertwining that with music, hopefully to touch people's lives. Sure. So if you could go back to, to high school, time travel back and meet yourself when you were starting to arrange, starting to set words to music, what advice would you give yourself back then with the knowledge and viewpoint you have now? You know, I probably would have told uh, myself to focus more on developing my piano skills, mm -hmm. uh, as well, you know, getting a greater knowledge of all of the instruments. You know, I, I mean, I understand to a great extent, extent the, the, the woodwind instruments having played sax and, you know, I, I play at the piano, but I think had I known the journey that my life would take, I would have, you know, delved more into uh, understanding all of the instruments um, because, uh, it, it requires much more work for me when I'm trying to include, you know, whether it's flute or percussion or brass in my pieces. I, I think that would be an easier path and, and, and probably would, and maybe I'll do that when I retire, invest more time in orchest orchestrating my works and even doing uh, band arrangements of some of my works. Mm -hmm. So I think I probably, and I, I would tell most composers, you know, even if you're co composing choral works, you know, understanding all of the instruments is really important. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So speaking of your music, let's let's launch into that for a little bit. You know, many of your pieces are arrangements of spirituals or set in a, a similar style. You've also published some articles about spirituals. I'm thinking specifically about your article, The African-American Spiritual Preparation and Performance Considerations, found in the 
2005 issue of Journal of Singing. Uh, you talk about that article in that article about preparing to perform spirituals using research and study and practice. So I'd like to ask this. What happens to the choir that doesn't do its due diligence in doing research and performing spirituals? What are they missing? Well, uh, normally what, what they'll be missing is those elements of the authenticity. And if, if they're missing those elements, I think that it sometimes com comes off as offensive to those who hear it. Mm -hmm. So even, even arrangers, I've had arrangers that will go and put things in, in spiritual such as finger snaps. And because this is a sacred music, uh, especially when they were first being arranged by composers such as William Dawson and Hall Johnson, oh, that would be quite offensive to pop your fingers in a way that uh, showed that it was not worshipful would have been quite offensive. Um, but it's also when people don't do their due diligence, they, they, it can come off as mockery. So for instance, you know, we, we say that in the English language with before and a vowel, uh, your article would be the, and before a consonant, it's the. Well, we, we a lot of conductors, uh, not so much today, but you know, in the 80s and before especially, they would sing uh, for uh, D tree, you know, D apple, and they wouldn't go and make the dialect, which is D and duh, be mm -hmm. just like the and the. And so when the choirs would get up to perform it, although they meant to express this music and uh, make it a part of their literature, those in the audience who were African-American thought it was making a mockery because it, it looked like uh, minstrel, sounded like, you know, the minstrel music right. and Jim Crow type of music. So if, if, and then too, you would have choirs who would take spirituals and treat them like gospel. Gospel music is a popular music that, that did not begin being performed uh, nationally and internationally in the concert venue. So popular music has more of a raw and, and natural pop production, whereas the African-American spiritual, which um, made its entrance into the world as an art through the Fifth Jubilee Singers and then other African-American institutions, as well as African-American artists as a classical vocal production. So when a, when a choir goes and sings a spiritual with a pop vocal production, that too is offensive because that particular music is meant to be sing sung with a classical production. Mm -hmm. and, then the, and there was one more thing that I was going to say that makes it uh, uh, really uh, different. Oh, the other thing is generally with gospel music, which a lot of people will make a mistake and try to sing spiritual uh, songs as a gospel song, they will go and they will start to move away from the arranger's version because they're confusing it. In gospel music, you have freedom to ad lib and do things outside of what's in the score. Whereas with uh, arrangements, you must do what is in the arranger's score of a spiritual. Mm -hmm. And so when people pick up a spiritual, they should be performing that exactly as it is in the music and not taking liberties as they would take liberties in the special section of a gospel song. Yeah. I know some choirs have been accused of being too white to perform spirituals. 
Do you think that an all white choir can successfully perform spirituals? And if so, what do they need to do? I'm asking for a friend, of course. Well, uh, <laughs> of course, you know, these these songs, you know, the, the African-American spiritual has been rearranged um, in, in pretty much every genre of music, including pop folk, jazz, you know, so this is a music that just touches the hearts of people. Why? Because, and, and another thing is, I, I tell people all the time, many ethnomusicologists uh, say arguably that uh, the African-American spiritual was the first true American folk song. And you have European composers such as Dvorak, who said that, hey, the, one of the reasons that they were coming to America was to learn about this American folk song that, that, that just had a deep ability to, to touch hearts. Why? Because the, the story of struggle and the story of the difficulties of life are, are uh, regardless of, of race. And so when, when uh, I don't think that a choir can, uh, I mean, I know what people mean by when they say, uh, <laughs> mean when they say that, okay, well, they sing that, that spiritual too white. Generally, that's more with a gospel song because there, there are certain been, there are certain nuances in gospel music that unless you've grown up with gospel music, you, you you don't you don't know what's being done with the voice and with the vowels to to make what happens in gospel music happens. Generally, I tell people if they sing what's in the score of an arrangement of a spiritual, especially if it's a concert spiritual. You sing that in a classical production and you, 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 you give special attention to singing the diction if they've included the diction as it should be done with due diligence. It's, it, it's, it's going to sound, um, it, it's going to sound as it should be if the arranger has arranged it properly. Now, what I, I, I think sometimes people mean is that some of the syncopation um, you know, there, there's, a, there's a feel of the syncopation, which is different from the written syncopation. And, and if, you, if you just sing the syncopation as a note on the page, rather than something that one feels, there's a reason why the syncopation is there. And, it, and it, it's, it's off the beat. So you must make that beat feel stronger which is different than just singing the note off the beat because it's written there. If you feel the emphasis and the lean of making a weak beat strong, then you will get the, the syncopation and the, the energy that's in that particular spiritual. Another thing is when a spiritual is, is, has quick syncopation and notes, oftentimes uh, groups will go and sing the song faster, which happens with my, 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 my um, motet, the word was God. Instead of allowing the syncopation of that motet to drive the energy of the creation, people would just sing it. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. I always tell them God was in no hurry when he created <laughs> <laughs> you know, and if you if you sing it too fast, you 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 put him in a hurry. No, the syncopation is 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 just there to create the the ethos of him creating, and it actually has more power the slower you sing it. And especially if you're in a cathedral like setting, as the as the the sounds reverberate, then the effect of the the creation and the words of God creating bounces. They did 
in in the in the whole uh, uh, creation of the earth and the nothingness of mm -hmm. of all that existed before he created. So it's, it's I I think a lot of times that syncopation is what they mean by when they say uh, that it sounds too too quiet. And I think it's the 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 not feeling and leaning into the rhythms, but just saying. I see the rhythm on the page and just singing that rhythm without the emphasis. Right. You know, one thing that I struggle with uh, sometimes is imposter syndrome. You know, the feeling that you don't belong where you are, you're sort of working above your station. You know, with the accolades and honors that you've received, do you ever fall victim to imposter syndrome? And if so, where do you feel that most acutely? You know, my, my, my motto is just be. Mm-hmm. First of all, I am grateful to be in the position where I am. And since this is not a career that I chose for myself, it's, it's a career that chose me on a journey. And so I don't find myself general, generally uh, trying to be outside of who and where I am. And that doesn't mean I'm never intimidated. It, it, it doesn't mean I am not always uh, seeking to achieve more. But I, I do try to stay in my lane. But every now and then, speaking of track, in order for me to, to get to the next place I need to be, sometimes, depending on what the race is, uh, I do get to step out of my lane to pass by those I need to pass by in order to get to the next place I, I need to be. I'm, I, I, don't, I don't see myself above where I am, but I don't try to have false humility and not be grateful for the opportunity that I have been given to be a voice. And like I said, I'm very grateful. As someone who studied solo voice uh, and who did not study composition, I never could have imagined uh, that I would have the opportunity to be able to compose music and, and, and have an impact upon people's lives. And I think for me, that's really what it's about. And, and, and what I mean by that is I don't try to be anything more than I am. People will say, well, why don't you compose? You know, they will compare me to other composers and say, well, you know, you're not getting to do the same thing that this composer gets to do. And, and I don't concern myself with what opportunities I don't have. I am grateful for the opportunities that I do have because to be an African-American woman doing this, not having studied composition and, and doing this around the world and hearing my music perform from Japanese to the through the Chinese to Australians to to you know the French the German uh, to people in Indonesia uh, you know I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here and and I'm grateful for all of those who have given me the opportunity to be here. Does that's that a, make sense? That does. That's a wonderful viewpoint. Absolutely. Um, so one last question before we take a quick break. If, uh -huh. COVID, if COVID were to disappear today, what is the first thing you would do? You know, to be honest, if, if I woke up tomorrow and COVID was not here, I think I would just keep doing what I'm doing. And that is I, I go to work, you know, and, and, and whatever was on the slate for that day, uh, I think I would. So I'm assuming that if COVID is not here, I will be able to meet my students face to face. But I've been going into work um, daily 
because I want to be there, whether with a mask, I want to be there for those students who need to see me and who need somebody to see. And I know a lot of faculty, oh, our school is open, but a lot of our faculty are staying home. But I feel like many of the students need to see a face. So I go to that school and I walk the halls. If COVID were not here tomorrow, I think that I would just be out doing what I do to, 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 to try to make an impact upon the students that I serve. You're a fabulous person to talk to. I'm getting so inspired from you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, after a quick break, we'll have a chance to listen and be inspired by Rosethany's compositions. Welcome back. I'm talking today with Rosethany Powell. So I'd like to open today with I Dream a World for SATB and Piano. This is the piece that introduced me to your works. Uh, it's a setting of the poem To You from Harlem Renaissance poet Langston Hughes. So I'm always interested by compositions that set a text that's been used by many other composers. So what does this text say to you uh, as you were working with it? Now, actually, this particular text is different from the one To You. To You uh, was the one I uh, composed uh, called To Sit and Dream. Okay. But, yeah, but you're right. I, I Dream a World is one that a number of uh, uh, composers have uh, set. Uh, when, and you know, at the time that I composed this, I didn't even know that other composers were setting it because I think a lot of us were doing it around the same time. <laughs> and, um, you know, when I, I love reading poetry and, um, and I was reading through uh, the, uh, a collection of Langston Hughes poetry. And when I uh, read that particular poetry, it, it just, it, it struck me so much as being the personality uh, of Langston Hughes. And, 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 and I, I think the entire poem uh, just spoke to me. You know, and it's, it's been a while since I've really had to, you know, address one of these in a Zoom, but, you know, where it recently, you know, I dream a world where man, no other will scorn, where love will bless the earth and peace its paths adorn. I, I mean, I, I, I tell people all the time, I saw Langston Hughes, you know, whenever he would dream, I put him in, in his apartment. And, and I saw him dreaming, he's, he's, he's you know, jazz pianist, um, you know, in, in the jazz world, but also, you know, we're, we're thinking around the time of, of Vietnam, we're thinking about the civil rights movement. We, the, he's, he's, he's heavily in that. And, and while he's dreaming, he, uh, he had a, a, a way of uh, juxtaposing that which is ugly in the world and which 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 uh, limited him and yet stepping outside of that world to what he dreamed it can, can be some people dream and when they dream it's all roses others will dream and it's all focused on uh just the negatives and 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 Langston Hughes in both of the poems that I set by him had a way to 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 speak about this world that I'm living in is not the one I want to live in but 
I want to dream and contribute to that which will make this world eventually be that which I imagine. And, and I, one of the things that uh, drew me to this poem was where, where he, he had the statement, where greed no longer saps the soul, nor avarice blights our day. I mean, who puts that? <laughs> who, I mean, and, and, the, and to be able to put that in a, in a, in a, in a, in a song, you know, the, the choir has to do a, a special work of making sure that the audience understands those words, because those are not words that one hears all the time. Right. But whenever I, I said his poems, I try to, in, in the area, in the places where he's talking about ugly things, I try to make sure that the chords and the, and the movement of the voices and the line depicts the ugliness of those words. And then at other times you will find in my in my piano accompaniments, I'm trying uh, I'm trying to make the piano uh, imitate the sound of a dream, and and so this dream of Langston Hughes it, it, it begins very happily. You know, I dream a world, I dream a world. All the voices are coming in talking about I dream a world. That's very positive. But when he starts talking about avarice and blight, you will find that the chords become more chromatic and dark. And then and that's when I go into the syncopation, giving you lots of this, this agitation in the in the rhythms. And then we get back to the end where I have and I, I paint the picture of Langston Hughes having actually falling asleep and eventually I'm using the same verses but I, I turn I make the piano start to play more with agitation and the voices are entering you know uh, on uh, uh, in antagonistically with each other well this dream has now become a nightmare and then as it and, and so as the dream becomes a nightmare and these voices are almost battling each other as they're they're painting the picture that this world is not what what uh Langston Hughes wants I drive that rhythm all the way to the end but then there's a place where I say that that eventually these dreams attend the needs of all mankind of such a world I dream of such a world the the, the choir just keeps singing that of the, the that over and over of such I dream, da 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 our world. And then you hear that last part of the piano, ba 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 chung chung. Well, at that point, he wakes up out of his nightmare, sweating to realize that a dream that began so beautifully turned ugly. And at that point, he's awake because that's what the world is. And that's what that's that's the sort of storytelling that I try to do when I compose uh, is, is use those two or three minutes to, to take that choir on a journey and then to get them to take the audience on that journey. All right. Well, let's go on this journey and listen to I Dream a World.
All right, next let's move to The Word Was With God for Acapella Chorus. So as you mentioned, this was uh, one of your first published pieces. Um, and I believe it's among one of your more popular pieces as well. Lots of choirs have done this one. So I love the rhythmic energy of this piece as the world is sort of sung into creation. Um, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien both use the idea of song being the catalyst for creation. And I can sort of feel that in the piece. Am I sort of on the right track of where you were going with this? Yes. Since, since God created the world with words, you know, I, I wanted to use John 1, 1. As a matter of fact, when I composed this piece, it, it, this song, it, it, it came because I, I, I said, you know what, I want to compose a song. And so this was my first composition that was um, um, published and truly composed. And I remember leaving my job, my, my, uh, I was at Philander Smith College in Little Rock, Arkansas. And, and I said, I got home, I had a, had a keyboard in, my, in, in our apartment and I said, I, I'm going to compose a song. And so, you know, knowing that, you know, biblical text and it was a, it was a, a school, a, a liberal arts college that was supported by the United Methodist Church. So most of our performances were in church. So most of our music was sacred. So I said, okay, well, I'm just going to find a scripture. And when I opened my Bible, I mean, I normally don't trust this sort of thing when people tell me, <laughs> but I opened it, it fell to John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word mm -hmm. and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and nothing was made. He has not made. Well, I said, and I just kept repeating that, that over and over, in the beginning was the word. And then all of a sudden, the rhythm started to come. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Well, all of a sudden, it starts to come together, and I start to see God in the nothingness start to speak in the darkness, in the chaos, not chaos as we know it, but the lack of organization, he starts to speak. And that's why I have, you know, when I have the, the sopranos to come in first, they're in unison, simplicity, Yeah. right? And then the men come in, there's the death, you got the lower voices. And then they all start to come in, in the beginning, what's the, in the beginning, what's the work? was in well now god's voice is starting to crank out creation and you you see you feel the energy of creation starting to come well i mean is that is that a is that a cricket i mean is it an <laughs> ant i mean is it is it is it, is it the bloom of a flower is it is it a little river or is it a stream is it the river is it the is it the clouds in the sky is it the sun is it the moon it's just little 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 small things in creation are starting to happen well as we move to talking about christ being there he is the word in that second movement it becomes more lyrical because to me that christ came as a a human being as a man and so that to me takes on more of the lyrical quality of of christ the the child, the person, not being a child at that point, but being God, being right there at creation with God. Well, when we come to the last section, 
That one has several, several different parts. The bases begin with the engine. All things were made by him. All things were made by him. Well, as the, as the song continues to develop, if, if, if the, if the, it can actually put the audience to sleep because it's just a <laughs> the same thing you would hear in, hear in an engine. It's the engine. When, when, when the tenors come in, that's day one, second tenors. When the first tenors come in, that's day two. When the second altos come in, it's day three. When the first altos come in, it's four, day four. When the second sopranos come in, it's day five. When the first sopranos come in, it's day six. And when they enter the last time, it's day seven, but they don't complete it because he rested on the seventh day. So, and, and what happens is with each of those voices coming in, there's more and more activity. And it really works in a place where you got a high ceiling because all this sound is just <laughs> bouncing, which is why I say people, you don't want to sing it real fast because the, the ears got to catch all of this reverberation and echoing a voice, blah, 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 just kind of bouncing off of each other. But that's how God created. And then he rested on that seven day and the sounds get fuller and fuller and louder and louder. And by that, by the end of it, you've got all of creation on that seventh day. So my hope is that if, if, if when people see it, they see how simply it be, the earth, be, the, the creation began at the beginning. And by the time you get to the end with all of this sound going on, it's just life now. You know, it's just creation. Absolutely. All right. We're going to now listen to this wonderful creation. The Word Was With God, performed by Wichita State University.
Our third piece today is your hauntingly beautiful setting of the spiritual Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child. Set for SATB acapella chorus, this spiritual has always struck such a tender chord in my heart, but you seem to have reached in, taken that tender spot, and showed it an even deeper level of grief. What were you doing in this setting? How are you approaching this? Wow. Uh, and thank you for that compliment. Uh, for me, uh, what I wanted to, to do in this particular arrangement was connect the African aspect that is found in the spiritual, because the spiritual was created between uh, African music uh, or the merging of these slaves with their, their ancestry or their, their roots in Africa with the European hymns and folk music that they were hearing on the plantations mm -hmm. that they were uh, living on and working on. So this, this song, Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child, was one that every slave knew, although there were numerous arrangements you know, different ways of performing it, depending on which plantation and what part of the country, uh, you know, that you were in. But everybody knew it because everybody in the slave community had either been sold away from their loved ones or their lo loved ones were sold away from them. So what I chose to do was put into this particular uh, arrangement uh, an African text to, to, to combine the, the African uh, aspect of this spiritual and those who sang it, and to, to show that when the, when the, the African was either sold away or died, there were, there were there are Africanisms within it. So there's a, a text, Bokayakaya, Nuo Vinovo, Nuo Vinovo. And that, that text reads, something terrible has happened to mothers where are mothers? So this whole song, sometimes I feel like a motherless child, you sang that spiritual whenever you were at your lowest points because everybody knew what you were feeling. Remember now the slave did not have permission to express pain or sadness. They were supposed to be happy on the plantation doing this work, whether being whipped or beaten, well, because they couldn't emotionally express that, they, they, everything they felt they expressed in a song. Yeah. So when you heard someone sing, sometimes I feel like a motherless child, this wasn't about necessarily somebody being sold away from them. This was about, this was telling those in the community what they were feeling at that time. When you heard someone singing that and you walked by, you knew something negative badly had occurred with that person. So with this one, I what I saw in this one was, I, I, I imagine, because for me, songs are about storytelling. And so I always see a video or a movie. So in this particular scene in, in the movie for me, this slave has been beaten, whipped to the point of death. And in this, particular arrangement, the spirits of Africa were, were known in the slave community for calling the spirit of a slave that was dying back to Africa. Mm -hmm. So this whole ooh that it begins with, it, it, it he, this, 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 this 
slave is making his way to death. And that whole first, ooh, if it were a movie, was, would be setting the camera up to pan to this slave that has been beaten and is breathing, moving, breathing. He's humped over, she's humped over and is breathing her last breaths. And, and a long way from home, I can get emotional thinking about it. You know, this person didn't make it to freedom. This person realizes that he or she is dying. She's a long way from Africa. He's a long way from Africa. He's a long way from the North in freedom. But he realizes in this song, true believer, a long way from home. And yet in another way, he's not so far from home because he is dying. Mm -hmm. And bo kaya kaya, he hears the priests in Africa or she hears the priests calling her home. And so as, as they, 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 the song moves through, as you move further along through the song, we have the sopranos and they, they sing this part that's very, very high. Well, I use that to represent this slave spirit is starting to make his or her way to heaven or to Africa. Either way, the priests from Africa are calling at the same time that heaven is calling. And so you have, you have the, 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 the sopranos being very, very high. Then when we get to the end, the, 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 where, um, well, that's, that's the slave spirit starting mm -hmm. to make his or her way up into the heavens. And then when we get to the, to the very end where I have the sopranos sustain this line after they sung the last time and, and all the rest of the voices go, Amen. And then they sing this, this very slow, amen. Well, why the sopranos are sustaining this one note? His spirit or her spirit is leaving. And I, in my mind, these were the priests alone, just praying his spirit or her spirit, calling her or her spirit back to Africa or the angels calling them to heaven. And when we hit, hit that positive chord, that major chord on the amen, he or she have finally made their way to freedom. Yeah. They're yeah. no longer far away from home. And they go, they go limp. They're gone. So that's what I saw in that, that particular spiritual. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Let's take a moment and listen to Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child, performed by Vocal Essence.
And lastly today, let's talk about With What Shall I Come for SATB Choir, Piano, and Violin. So I know you wrote this piece as a gift for Dr. Anton Armstrong at St. Olaf College. Uh, can you tell me about creating this piece and why you settled on the text from Micah chapter six? You know, well, actually I chose that particular uh, text because Anton told me <laughs> <laughs> that that was the text I would be setting. And, and, and so when he told me about this celebration, he said, hey, I want you to uh, set this particular text is one of my favorites uh, because it speaks of justice and it, 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 it really speaks about that being the gift that we are to bring to all mankind. And, you know, I, I had a short period uh, because of our relationship, Anton can pretty much ask me for anything at any point <laughs> and, and, and I will do it. And, and so uh, I really just tried to develop this text uh, based on where that text takes you. And, and, the, and, and the, the real question is, what do I bring as a gift? And the text itself says that there are so many things we can decide to bring as a gift to God. But what he asks for is justice. Hmm. And, 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 and so there, there are, there, again, it's just like with some of the other works, there are places where the song becomes antagonistic because that's the battle in all of our minds. Justice is a very diff difficult gift in which to bring. I mean, the, 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 the prophet asks, well, do I bring cattle? Do, cattle, do I bring rams? And, he's, and basically God says, no, I don't, need, I don't need your sacrifices. I want you to do justice, do right by the poor, do right by the widow, do right by those who have less. Because that was not what, what was happening in the community at that time. God was saying, your, your gifts mean nothing to me unless you do right by those who cannot do for themselves, unless you can do unto others as you would have them to do unto you, unless you could take, you take some of all those rams and those, those goats and those cattle, go and bless those who have need of it, then bring your gift to me. Well, the antagonism in that is that so often we're like, well, I'll, I'll bring you my money, but you don't really want me to go and be with those people. You don't want me to go, they're not like me. But he says, that's the gift that I want. And so in this song too, I was trying to bring about that antagonism. And at the very end, it's another one of those where at the very end, the chorus, when they change, they take on a more positive um, um, color because at this point, I feel like the listener has said, well, then that's, that's what I will come. That is what I will bring because that is the gift that will be pleasing to you. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, has, it has, you know, violin obligato and uh, the, the, his viol the violinist who uh, plays it uh, just did a fabulous job with it and really brought out that antagonism that is there. And then at, at the end, it just settles back down to this most peaceful presentation to say, that's when we will be at peace. When we start thinking about justice for one another, and that means all of us. Mm -hmm. you know? 
All right. Well, let's listen to With What Shall I Come, performed by the St. Olaf Choir.
Well, Rosephany, before we end today, would you like to plug your website so people will know where to find you online? Thank you so much for that opportunity. And it's rosephanypowell.com. Uh, and you do have to spell the name correctly <laughs> to get it. It's a hard one to spell. So R R O S E P as in pair, H A N Y E Powell.com. All right. Are you on social media as well? Yes, I am. Uh, you can find me, same spelling of the name, on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I can't remember what the others may be, but for sure those. I'm those sure you two. probably don't run into too many other Rosephanies, do you? No, I don't, <laughs> which is, you know, which makes it a little bit easier. At least people know they found me. That's right. You know, when, if, if, if they spell it correctly, there there's just the one. That's right. Well, Rosephanie Powell, it has been an honor and a, and a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you for joining me on Movable Dough. Thank you so very much. It's been my pleasure. My guest today was composer Dr. Rosephanie Powell. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. To hear previous episodes, visit sdcompose.com slash movable dough. If you would like to continue this conversation or share your favorite music by Rosephanie Powell, join us on our Facebook group, Movable Dough Listeners, and follow us on Instagram at Movable Dough Podcast. If you have a recommendation for a future guest, please email me at movabledough at gmail.com. This is Steve Danielson. Keep the music moving. <laughs>